it's over 9,000! Final Forum, a podcast for the discussion of all things Dragon Ball. I am your host, Jelly, an elite recruiting member of the Frieza Force on a mission to find the best warriors from across the galaxy to join the greatest army of all time. And I am joined, as always, by my new recruit co-host. This is the bikini. Uh, can we get the hell out of here now? If you remember where our ship is, think it's still there, and can get us back to it and through whatever shield it's probably under so we can get on board, install the quantum phase generator, get the ship working, and get out of here, then by all means, lead the way, recruit. So what you're saying is, even though we've escaped the prison, we're still trapped. Trapped on an entire planet made of prisons. Your words, not mine. Can't you just use that homing feature you used on Orthoptera to call the ship to us? I tried that already. Those giant metal shields must be blocking my signal or blocking the ship. Well, at least we know the scrappers didn't steal it and leave us here. Now you're talking like a member of the Frieza Force. There's always a positive to take away. Say. Have you noticed what these shields are made out of? Yeah, it's the same metal as in our floor panels. Sturdy stuff. Think about the poundings the floors take under heightened gravity training and how energy blasts don't even leave scorch marks. Those would make for a good prison cell. If that's what those are. What else could they be? Look around. They're everywhere. On a planet we thought was primitive. That, in many ways, is primitive? Also, how many stars does this planet orbit? Uh, I think just the one. Why? Given that it is a similar gravity to what we might consider normal, and it doesn't seem as if the ground is hot to the touch, we can presume it spins at a decently rapid rate also. Well, yeah, but nothing's growing. This could all be exposed to the sun all day every day, and we're just far enough from it that it doesn't get too hot. I don't think anything grows here. Probably not even package. So what's your point here? You're saying a lot of things about spin and distance from the star and growth, but I really don't understand what you're driving at. Still just a rookie. Your naivete would be almost cute if you weren't so damn ugly. Are you going to get to the point or just orbit around it like a smug jerk around a smug star? Well, recruit, the point is that by all measurements, crude as they may be, of my eyes and gauge of the various times of day here, it's actually getting brighter when it should be getting darker. It's dusk, but the sky seems to be glowing more and more brilliantly. Also that... Oh, look, the ship. It's totally not closed in yet. Maybe we can get to it in time, figure out how to open the shell, get the hell out of here. You know, the whole deal. Quit talking and start flying. You're the chatterbox. Always talking when you should be- Shut up and fly, recruit! <laughs> Listeners, if this is the last you hear from us, I've been crushed to death between these two shells as they're coming together so, so close! Ah, damn it, I'm not gonna make it! Bikini, stop! You're not gonna make it! Yes, I am! <laughs> damn it! Alright, well, now what? Now we look for somewhere to hunker down, nearby if possible. In fact, let's- walk around the perimeter of this shell while we wait for it to open back up. In the meantime, 
we can conduct a podcast episode. And today we'll be talking about the final, I don't know, four episodes of the uh, Tenkaichi Budokai. Sounds about right. It starts with Krillin's Frantic Attack, episode 24. Um, so it is the final five episodes, actually, I think. Um, we'll be talking about the semifinals and the finals. So it's episodes 24, 25, 26, 27, and 28. In these episodes, like I mentioned, you get the semifinals and the finals. So in the semifinals, the first round is Krillin versus Jackie Chun. And they have a pretty good battle with Krillin kind of squaring off with him as as Yamcha does and initially taking a hard hit and being like, I didn't even see that. And Goku, you know, kind of being like, no, if you if you trust your training and trust everything we went through, you'll you'll be able to see it coming. Focus. Krillin kind of refocuses, looks in on himself and does see the attack coming. And so he's already faring better than Yamcha did. From there, he has this this quick interaction with with Chun that then it ends and the announcer is like, what what just happened? I have no idea what we even saw there. And Jackie Chun is like, all right. And they walk him through this. It's a it's one of the funniest beats or one of the funniest like gags in terms of a longer gag in this whole arc, I would say. Jackie Chun and Krillin walk them through what looks like it happened in the blink of an eye. They got into a fight with kicks and fists and flipping around each other, realized they were at a stalemate. So they have a rock, paper, scissors match. They try to spit on each other and lick each other. And then uh, Jackie Chun says, like, look over there to Krillin. And Krillin looks in the opposite direction trying to outthink Chun but Chun did want him to look in the right direction and and is able to hit him and do a flip and land and it all happens all of that happens in 0.2 seconds you know that the crowd can't even see um that's really funny I also really like I, I really like how like they they stop everything to have this breakdown for the announcer and everyone watching while the match is still going on <laughs> and <laughs> And they have uh, they have the announcer like carry them because they're like I was k- jumping through the air like this ah, and like and which reminds me of those uh, those like Japanese variety shows where they have like the guys in the full body jumpsuits that match the background like lifting the actors and doing different weird stunts. Yeah, those are cool. So yeah, yeah, that's that was a really funny that's a really funny beat. But um, at the end of the day, after a, a decent battle that ends up you know destroying parts of the arena and things like that krillin is defeated by jackie chun using the after image technique it's a first time we see that from there we get goku versus nam and you know nam has his very serious needs to get water goku is very just happy to be there and they have an intense battle with nam striking a few harsh blows against Goku that one of which he says this is probably going to kill you or come close to it if you survive it'll be 10 days before you stand back up again and Goku gets back up in you know eight seconds or whatever because he's Goku um so they have a good match and then obviously Goku wins and then Nam and Roshi have a quick interaction where he's like, you fought really well. Aren't you going to stay around and watch the finals? And Nam's like, I need to bring water back to my people and I don't have any money to do that. And, you know, Master Roshi is like, hey, I'm not Jackie Chun. I'm Master Roshi. And you could have all the water you want. It's just free. (laughs) And so (laughs) now... Nam is then very satisfied and happy and grateful to Roshi for giving him an empty capsule to put all the water in. And then he does Roshi the favor of pretending to be Roshi in the crowd so that when people are like, where's Master Roshi, Jackie Chun can be like, look, he's over there. And then we get the main event, the finals of Jackie Chun versus 
Goku and they have a massively intense battle that lasts all into the night. And in the night, Goku, with his tail back, happens to look at the moon, turns into Ozaru. The battle rages on. Goku somehow, as Ozaru, never manages to step out of the ring. Pretty impressive. <laughs> so that's, some, that's some real presence of mind right there. And so Jackie Chun fires a massive Kamehameha blast. Everyone thinks it has killed Goku, but really it has just caused him to fall down into some rubble. And Jackie Chun has blown up the moon. <laughs> which leads yeah, to okay. <laughs> which leads to a very fun outburst from the ring announcer. We'll talk more in detail about it later, but the the part that's really funny is he's like and what about Wolfman? What are they going to transform? <laughs> I think I think he also says something about like uh, uh, romantic walks on the beach or something as well. Yeah. So the match then restarts. Goku and Jackie Chun charge at each other for one last blast. They they have used up all of their actual energy, like all of their key, and it's down to just fists and kicks. As a result of Jackie Chun just being physically bigger than Goku when they lunge at each other for one final blow, he's able to get more behind his kick than Goku does, knocks Goku out, and wins the tournament. Uh, And then Master Roshi, you know, heads off. He's like, thanks, I won, whatever, and he leaves, and he changes back into his, you know, Master Roshi clothes, and he's like, you boys did a great job. And let this be a lesson that there's always someone stronger than you. And now I'll take you out for dinner to celebrate. And Goku runs up a $470,000 zenny tab on on his on his meal. And I feel like that's going to become a recurring theme. <laughs> and that's that's more or less where it ends. Hey, Goku didn't win, but he fought well. So let's talk just just some notes before we get into talking about like some of the meanings and the and the references and stuff like that when krillin uses his his head to run at jackie chun and smash the wall it's called the iron head technique it's one of the 72 traditional shaolin fighting arts and a fighter has to condition their head to feel no pain by practicing smashing it into things and then they have to fill it with spiritual energy to perform an attack as strong as krillin's so his smashing of the wall then works as a good metaphor for fighters breaking down the barriers between the earthly and spiritual realms for the audience. But and we may have talked about this on the last episode, but still, as with as with most things that Toriyama does when it comes to something that can work as a metaphor, it's a product of procrastination. <laughs> He's handing in these line arts and drawings and manuscripts so late that his assistant is complaining about having to ink this intricate wall over and over and over. So Toriyama's like, okay, we'll just smash it down. Problem solved. (laughs) All throughout the fights, though, the wall gets broken down bit by bit until the finals when Uzaru Goku smashes it completely, and the line then between the earthly and the spiritual has been completely shattered. And I just think that's, I don't know, it's kind of one of those things where Toriyama and Torishima kind of have come out publicly at times and said, we're not making something that has a message. There's no message here. And I think just because someone says they're not making a message doesn't mean there's no messages to be found because you're still putting a lot of yourself in it. And so whether Toriyama kind of realizes it or not, he's he's doing some of these things and they're they are there. I mean, yeah, I agree with that. In in my opinion, art's subjective, so I believe that it's really it's up to the individual who's you know looking at it to determine what they take away from it. Right. Yeah. It's uh, what is that the the death of the artist? Right. Once it's out there, it no longer belongs to them. Yeah. Um, but anyways, it's just I don't know. I, I think that's all kind of interesting kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, we see Roshi use the after image technique for the first time in in these battles. That's something that gets used later uh, for sure. But it, in this, it's it's definitely shown as like a a very 
high-level martial arts move of being able to move so quickly you leave behind an image of yourself that people think is real. In the Goku versus Nam fight, Nam's aerial attack is called Heaven's X Mark Fist. The Japanese use an X to mark incorrect answers and failing grades. So basically, this is like saying you're getting a failing grade from Heaven. That's just that's what it is that's, in Japanese. I think in this brutal. it's it's just called like the Sky Bomb or I I don't even know what it's called. I I believe on Earth there's there's a another a uh, similar insult from other cultures, basically telling somebody that they're not the type of person that Mr. Rogers thinks that they should be or could be, <laughs> which is apparently equally brutal to people on Earth. <laughs> not that I would know. Right. Not that we would know anything about y- Earth. Exactly. Uh, in the in the, the another you know note before I pass it off to Bikini to tell us some more about the finals. In the Japanese, Nam refers to Jackie Chun with the suffix dono after being given water. We've talked a little bit about some of the the suffixes that you can use in, in Japanese kind of honorifics, you know, um, Goku-san and uh, like Lord Beerus, who is a feature, or Lord Frieza would be Frieza-sama. Um, Dono is an old school term meant to refer to samurai and feudal lords of the highest order, nobility, and respect. And it, it actually it supersedes sama, which we just mentioned. It means lord and is a suffix that Goku often neglects to use when speaking to those who outrank him, which then either ang- angers them at his lack of propriety or it disarms them into being charmed by his just down-to-earth attitude like this is this is way later in Dragon Ball Super, but when he just calls Beerus Beerus, Beerus sees it as a as an insult. He wants to be called Lord Beerus, Beerus Sama. When he calls Grand Zeno the creator of all of existence, just Zeno, he finds it charming that someone just refers to him as just a person and not Lord, you know? So Nam, using this dono suffix, shows us that Chun Roshi is a noble and important person to Nam who has gained this really high position of respect to Nam for saving his entire village. And I, I honestly, I kind of like that that the little bits of, of like insight that you gain between like two characters based on like what sort of um, honorifics that they use. I always thought that was really cool i yeah it's it's that is a a, i like to try to take as unpretentious an approach to this stuff as possible while still pointing out a lot of these like metaphors and interesting bits of cultural background and how they were made you know kind of a peek at how the sausage was made and stuff like that but i still you know at the end of the day always try to remind myself that like this is a manga targeted towards young kids and it's an anime targeted towards young kids, and it's it's like children's entertainment. And that doesn't mean that adults can't enjoy it, because like adults love Pixar movies, you know. Uh, but to get a little pretentious about it, one of the biggest, maybe arguably the biggest shift when you're watching this in English versus Japanese is the suffix stuff. You know, because in English, every character just calls Goku, Goku. Mm -hmm. And in the Japanese, just by referring to him with a different suffix or um, son, you know, his his uh, his his familial name, things like that. It gives you, like you said, an insight into how each character relates to one another just with the name that they call each other. And you don't get that. In English, because English is a language with less, a little less subtlety than that. Yeah, definitely. All right, so let's move on to the final, Jackie Chun versus Goku. Uh, first thing I wanted to note here is we see a lot of new techniques from both fighters, uh, which is interesting because as far as we've seen to this point, 
uh, Goku's training has been strictly about increasing his already ridiculous raw power. It hasn't really been anything about learning new techniques or anything like that. And we kind of touched on it uh, a little bit earlier with the Fry Pan Mountain episode. But uh, um, yeah, a lot of interesting things that happened here. First thing is the Kamehameha Geishi or the counter Kamehameha, which is the first beam battle that we see in the franchise. And this is important because this this becomes a, like an absolute staple of the series later on. And it's the source of some of the most iconic moments to ever happen in this franchise. Next up is the drunken fist that Jackie Chun uses on Goku. It looks silly, uh, but it's actually an advanced martial arts technique requiring relaxation, but simultaneously keeping your mind sharp and only appearing dull while maintaining precision control and sort of like awkwardly stumbling around. It's inspired by the movie Drunken Master. Goku's use of monkey style is sort of like him trying to copycat it, but without ever having seen like a drunk person before. And his monkey style is inspired by the movie uh, Knockabout, which we mentioned in our previous episode as the inspiration for those mafia-esque suits that Krillin and Goku wear. It's also a joke from Toriyama that this is this whole fight is about monkey see, monkey do. So while Goku can't mimic the drunken fist because he's, like I said, he's never seen a drunk person before. He's young. His monkey style uses that similar concept of appearing out of control while actually being very under control. And so it allows him to sort of counter the advantages the drunken fist would give Jackie Chun. Next up is the hypnosis that Jackie Chun tries to use, and um, as it pertains to martial arts, is a traditionally Japanese ability, which is notable in that Toriyama says he's inspired mostly by Jackie Chan and, and Jackie Chan's kung fu movies, which are obviously Chinese influences. But by not being fully aware of what cultures he's always borrowing from and lacking that researcher's mind towards consistency, uh, he has this ability to create something new by fusing Japanese and Chinese fighting styles. Um, and then as far as pure technique goes, lastly is the the rock, paper, scissors battle, which is notable as that's Goku's signature style up to this point. Yeah, we mentioned it in was it like the first or second episode that we did, you know, where I, where he, it's the big bear bandit, if I remember right. Yeah, and his his style is rock, paper, scissors style. It's it's like one of the Toriyama puns. Kind of like uh, Tien in his volleyball style, which we'll see later on. <laughs> Moving past the, the techniques, we start to get into more of the supernatural element uh, when Goku turns into the Ozuru. The announcer is the first person to actually use the term Ozuru. At this point, nobody's actually called it that. Um, additionally, the announcer is furious with Chun for destroying the moon. And there are a great many people who seem to misunderstand this moment. Time after time, you'll see people call it silly, uh, like how he's upset about the moon while a giant ape has just l destroyed everything around him, uh, or that he cares about something as trivial as a festival or food when the uh, lack of a moon would literally upset the balance of life on Earth as, as, as it is known. But for the Japanese audience, particularly like that tween-aged Japanese target, basically Toriyama's target audience, uh, this would be first and foremost in their minds. This is more in the manga than the anime, but in the manga, the announcer wonders what will happen to the uh, Otsukimi Matsuri now. For those of you that may have forgotten, uh, this is the annual moon viewing festival that we've mentioned before with the, the mochi making. Um, it's been celebrated since the 9th century when it was imported from China's mid-autumn festival and it became entangled with the Japanese seeing the rabbit on the moon bent over the mochi mortar, you know, the... Japanese equivalent of man in the moon for English listeners. Mm -hmm. It's a crucial and important piece of Japanese culture as integral to them as the 4th of July might be to say Americans. And the moon is a symbol of this important piece of their culture. So while the destruction of the moon would be like on a scientific level, catastrophic, uh, it's also devastating to Japanese culture and society. Uh, many poets and artists are inspired by the moon's yin energy. And even those who create bright works require the negative as uh, an antithesis to their optimism. So without the moon, there's nothing to honor during the Otsuki Matsuri. And there's no reason to make moon mochi anymore. Which, speaking of rabbits making mochi on the moon, what about <laughs> poor Master Carrot? Does he get blown up? Toriyama's addressed this and he said that uh, it's – He's just now destined to drift through space. 
and he probably said this more to just not be morbid and kill a character who was already being punished for something that they had done wrong. But I got to be honest, drifting through space sounds way worse than being blown up. Right? <laughs> Especially in Dragon Ball. And granted, we don't know. We, you know, viewers or whatever haven't come across this yet. But I'm sure by the time he answered his question, answered this this question, this concept had been introduced of like the afterlife in Dragon Ball is pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> you either... You either get to be just a puffy little cloud who goes to, like, happy puffy cloud land, or you get to go to some physical afterlife and, like, train. <laughs> and and instead, this guy's just now drifting through the vast blackness of space. I mean, it also makes me wonder because, like, it, in my opinion, there's I, he can't have, like, a, a stable orbit. So eventually he's going to re-enter the atmosphere and then just burn to a crisp on the way down. <laughs> Rabbit fricassee, anyone? Moving on. That final kick in the final, uh, that kick in the face, uh, is an homage to Bruce Lee as something similar features in a lot of his movies, especially Big Boss. Uh, and then Roshi makes sure to tell his students there's always that higher step, like you said earlier, even above the highest. Uh, this is a pretty well understood idea in all areas of skill. As a novice, you look up to intermediates. As an intermediate, you look up to masters. As a master, you may look up to other masters who came before you or even to novices as you admire their clear minds, their pure hearts, and the future where they will eventually become the new masters. And you understand that your new responsibility is to ensure that they have the skills and knowledge to do so and to carry on your skill in that grander sense of, of uh, legacy that you pass on. In general, your reward for completing a challenge is the next challenge. Your reward for ascending is the opportunity to ascend even further. It seems cruel on the surface and, and it's kind of like this never-ending struggle. But it's it's that fuel that fires your soul if you're a true competitor. Uh, we'll end on another reference to Drunken Master as Goku pigs out and everyone just kind of stares in horror while someone else puts the bill, which is lifted <laughs> directly from that movie. The Japanese have a proverb that says to eat until you're like eight-tenths full so you don't get sick. And this is what Goku claims to have done after eating all of the food at the entire restaurant. And then everyone does a pratfall. Which like, is, you know, that's that's kind of the motif now at this point. Yeah, that's the that's that's the that's the Yes, it's the rim shot. There we go. <laughs> uh, so that's the end of Dragon Ball's sort of first portion. Though humor will remain a part of the franchise forever, and I mean, you know, we even see it today in in, in Super. Um, we've shifted from gags to a battle series. And it's now going to remain battle-oriented, even as it kind of starts to shift a little bit more going forward. Toriyama's completed Dragon Ball's shift to gain popularity, and he jokes that it was, in fact, too successful. Yeah, which is just him undercutting himself and, you know... He's probably thinking about all the work that he has to do, yeah. you know, around <laughs> other people because his show's popular. Right. Uh, oh, this, oh, the the burden of success. <laughs> So yeah, we've, we've spoken before about how Toriyama is this contrarian and he just likes to do the opposite and subvert expectations. And in these final tournament rounds, this is on full display. The, you know, the tournament itself is all about opposites clashing. You've got Bex Bacterian Stench versus Krillin not having a nose. Ronfon's sexuality versus Nam's chastity. Ch Jackie Chun's age versus Yamcha's youth. Goku's diminutive size versus uh, Giren's hulking monstrousness. Even into the semifinals, Krillin being inexperienced versus Jackie Chun's vast experience and knowledge. And lighthearted Goku there just to test himself versus Nam's deadly serious mission to save his people. So then, when it comes time for the finals, what does Toriyama do? The opposite. As in the opposite of what you were expecting him to do. And since the opposite of the opposite is the same, <laughs> the final fight is all about mimicry. And these two warriors testing their skill and metal at utilizing and defending similar techniques. You know, we talked about the beam battle. That's, that's 
two Kamehamehas clashing. Drunken Fist versus Monkey Style. Jackie Chun unleashes this deadly energy attack, the lightning surprise flash attack versus Goku unleashing Ozuru. It's all about same versus same, monkey see, monkey do. He even plays into that with the final clash between Roshi and Goku, having them perform the exact same maneuver. And it's only Roshi's literal size advantage and ability to put more into the kick that gives himself the win. Toriyama's contrarian nature then even goes a step further. He actually initially intended for Goku to win, but there was a survey done in Shonen Jump at the time with the votes overwhelmingly favoring Goku for who would win. And according to Toriyama himself, quote, I'm a contrarian and I don't want to go along with what everyone else thinks. I was desperately thinking up ideas about how not to have Goku win the championship, unquote. He says all his friends were also sure Goku would win, and so he thinks to himself, yeah, like I'd let him win now. So for once in his career, heading into this tournament, Toriyama has planned something out before starting it, and then he changes that plan just to upset everyone including himself, because he wanted Goku to win initially, but upsetting people by subverting their expectations is what makes Toriyama happy. So ultimately, he's happy with himself. So the the man is nothing if not a walking contradiction. He's, he is a world-class troll. Yes. Uh, so one thing we see through the tournament, but kind of like in the finals more specifically is goku's ability to master techniques and counter fighting styles just by observing them once if his life were a fighting game you wouldn't be able to just low kick him to death or spam the same special move over and over we've mentioned before this is one of his innate abilities and is due to his inner self-knowledge and awareness of his own truth and emptiness and is even represented in the go part of his name uh, it's also due to his genji or inborn quality and wuxing or enlightenment quality so what are these things? Well, Wuxing is a very in-depth philosophy that could require hours of discussion and research and evaluation. So, of course, let's attempt to break it down as crudely as possible here and get a lot of information wrong so we can seem smart. I mean, let's just talk about it a little bit because it's interesting. <laughs> Wuxing is a five-fold concept in traditional Chinese thought that incorporates wood, fire, earth, metal, and water elements, interdependent aspects of the universe's ongoing existence and development. Different from traditionally Western and Greek understanding of the elements as individual entities unto themselves and the building blocks of matter, the Chinese phases are seen as ever-changing material forces and a way to interpret the unseen natural processes happening constantly around us. It's derived from the idea that these altering, changing states of being and permutations in our metamorphoses. Likely because of the more Eastern concept of being reborn and cycling through lives on the way to salvation, as opposed to you live one life and then it's afterlife after that. Uh, it extends back to the earliest records of Chinese intellectual history and is chronicled in the Zhuozhan. Yeah, Zhuozhan, that sounds Zhu, right. Zhuzhan or, yeah. Zhuzhan. <laughs> So, listeners, hopefully hopefully you guys can forgive us for our horrible pronunciation, but we're aliens. We're completely unfamiliar with Earth's languages. So, I mean, the fact that we're even doing a podcast in English is pretty impressive when you think about it. Anyways, uh, so the Zhu Zhuo – I'm doing it again. Zhuozan – Whatever it is. <laughs> whatever it is, uh, which is considered part of the most important Chinese text detailing their history and philosophy – uh, note that these texts are different from the four classic novels we've mentioned previously, and in fact, this predates those novels and are the foundations of thought and culture that lead to those novels being what they are. Journey to the West presents its characters in terms of Wuxing philosophy. Uh, everything has interpromoting, weakening, interregulating, overacting, and counteracting forces with other elements, creating a constant flow. So what does that mean for Goku and Dragon Ball? If you really think about what it means to have this constant flowing, shifting, changing sort of identity while still remaining yourself, it becomes pretty obvious that that's, that's what Goku is. That's his philosophy to life. He's ever-changing. He's increasing his strength, gaining knowledge. He knows more and more and more about the vastness of the universe bit by bit. 
he's always flowing with the current as it pushes him along. He rarely has much of an agency in terms of the plot unto himself, but he always remains true to who he is at his core. And because of that, because he's such a creature of Wuxing, he's able to see the reality of it in all things. And this is what really assists him in battle. This is why Goku is so good, why he can't be spam attacked with the same attack forever. He could see the truth and the technique behind attacks being used without being taught them, and he's able to understand how to use and or counter them. So Goku's Wuxing quality is the secret to his success success, and the key to who he is at his core. It's, it's, this is an idea that really gets played up a lot in in super and maybe it does in some of the other things too a little more subtly but it's something i definitely can think of like specific examples of in super where when he's fighting hit the character who can do time skips you know just by watching that happen to vegeta he's able to to learn what is happening and how to counter it just by observing his opponents fighting he's able to know sort of where they're attacking and how what their gambit is when they're attacking it's i would say it is played up in this a little bit too i mean when you look at jackie chun using the after image technique on krillin and goku sees it for what it is almost the first time right yeah and and then he's able to even replicate it later without ever having jackie chun master roshi tell him here's how you do it so that's that's what wuxing or at least how goku's wuxing quality works in these battles i think Um, it's also sort of reflected in his personality a little bit as well like when we're talking about the honorifics he he sees past that sort of social hierarchy to the person behind the title and that's I think part of the reason why he doesn't bother with them because he's like, well, no, I, I can see who you are. I don't need to be fancy with titles. I know you. Right. Yeah. So, I don't know, that's just a, that is a, a really cool, like, this whole idea of this, like, five interdependent but also constantly conflicting but also constantly shifting and changing elements. You know, we think of earth, wind, fire, water, you know, like – the movie The Fifth Element, uh, as these sort of separate things that all will combine to make a whole. Whereas, so it's it's almost similar. You can you can get close to it, but yeah, in the in the sort of Chinese philosophy, it's more they're all constantly shifting within each other. There's there's water within fire, and earth within fire, and fire within earth, and etc. Um, also, speaking of Fifth Element, techno opera in Dragon Ball when? Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> that movie is awesome. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> um, so, but that's it for the twenty-first Tenkaichi Budokai. Any any thoughts on these three matches? Any uh, particular highlights or lowlights we didn't touch on? Uh, I mean, we kind of did touch on it, but we—it's—it's. It's, I like that. Prior to the tournament, Krillin and Goku are kind of set up as these sort of just like physical beasts, like they're just physically and spiritually stronger than everyone else at this tournament, which kind of is reinforced by how uh, Roshi reacts to the results of their training when he sees them push that giant boulder. But I thought it was interesting to see that. Roshi acknowledges that these kids are probably stronger than he is, but he still wins just due to his extensive array of techniques and just sheer fighting experience that he has at this point and a little bit of luck. Yeah. And that, and that becomes a bit of a theme too, throughout Dragon Ball, right? Goku is off. It's often like, you know, the LOL Goku wins, you know, but, but it's rarely about, if you really watch, because like people, people get into these weird fan arguments online about like, oh, would Gohan win if Vegeta didn't help and distract Cell for that one instantaneous moment, you know, and things like that. And that's like, that's the point. The point is, it's not just brute strength and just 
being the strongest that wins. It's because it, it, it's it's that luck I think that kind of makes that win that much more uh, appealing. Because it, like you said, it's not LOL Goku wins. It's oh wow, our heroes almost lost that if not for this lucky occurrence. Right. That that and you know sk- skill and technique went out over over just brute strength. That's like one of the th- themes of all of Dragon Ball. You know when when we get into the Saiyan saga later, like Vegeta is straight up stronger than Goku, and yeah. would would absolutely have beaten the crap out of Goku in their first encounter. But Goku has help from Krillin and Gohan and Yajirobe. <laughs> it's not just about strength, right? And then you know, and then the other thing is Goku has this bag of tricks with you know the the Kaioken attack and things. And yeah, it's 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 not just who's the strongest, right? Because in because yes, we we basically we're pretty darn convinced that Goku physically is stronger than Roshi. I mean, he pushes that boulder that at least is played up that Roshi would not have been able to budge, you know? Yep. And on top of that, Roshi runs out of steam in his Kamehameha before Goku does. Yeah. Even a lot of Roshi's like internal dialogue is, you know, like I, I can't, I can't beat him in a battle of energy. I can't beat him in a, in a physical match i and i can't i can't grapple with him i can't use any of those kind of grappling techniques because he's too small and that's when he finally realizes ah my only chance is just to take advantage of the fact that he's too physically small yes my slight reach advantage which is so good i also thought of another excellent example was uh trunks versus perfect cell when trunks powers up and he gets that powerful bulky form and then it cuts to like in the middle of their fight, it cuts to Goku and Gohan in the hyperbolic time chamber. And Goku has found the same form. And he's like, nope, this ain't going to work. Like he immediately tries and is like, nope, this ain't going to work because it cuts down on my speed too much. And there's no way I'd be able to keep up. Yeah. And then that's illustrated in the in the actual fight. Yes. Trunks gets <laughs> Trunks gets beat up. Yeah. There's some cool stuff that happens in these in these matches, and they're really dynamic. They're really fun. You know, they have a great mix of, of humor and 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 action. I know for me personally, there's there's some of the high points of Dragon Ball, in my opinion. I think they're 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 up there for sure. The 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 fight itself, especially when you get it when you get it more like for me when having it more contextualized as hey, it's all about like same versus same. And really picking up on that, that's that's a really inspired choice. And despite it coming from a place of just wanting to do the opposite and undercut everything all the time, when you see that and pay more attention to it, it it really adds something to the final It adds fight. a nice little bit of depth. Yeah. And then at the end, you know, like we said, Roshi, Roshi basically says, hey... There's always someone stronger and you always got to keep pushing yourself to get to the best. So that's, that's a very relatable thing. And I think if you've, if you've ever undertaken a skill or a hobby, you've probably encountered something like that, right? Where sure. Absolutely. You come to it as this novice and you're idolizing the, 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 the best of the best who are doing it. You've mentioned before that you were like a theater student in high school. Yeah, I dabbled a little bit. And I was actually on like the stage crew. I did. I did actually specifically the lighting. And, and yeah, when, you know, when you start out and you see like the, the person who's up in the rafters, like changing lights around and into the panel, you're like, you're just, you're not like blown away, blown away maybe, but you're like, wow, that's so cool. Like I wouldn't even know what I was doing. And then you go to the next step of being taught some of it and you're like, oh, that's so interesting. And then you get comfortable with it 
and then you pass that on to someone else and it's really really cool to see like someone else pick up the ball and run with it too yeah and to your point earlier about like looking back at the novices um once you've progressed in a skill is something that i see a lot of times when i'm running a game of dungeons and dragons and i have new players it's it's watching the look on their face when it like clicks in their mind oh oh this is this is what i can do i can do all kinds of stuff it's not like a video game i can whatever i can imagine it i can attempt to do and it you you watch it as that that passion starts to take hold of them and i continue to be friends with these people and game with them and stuff like that and then i watch them grow as players and then i watch them eventually attempt to run their own games and 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 tackle all these different aspects of the game it's uh it's it's pretty heartwarming actually yeah, and that's let's let's take a little bit of that warmth in these uncertain times. <laughs> we'll leave we'll leave it a little a little vague in that way. Um, <laughs> there's always uncertain times, right? That's yeah, no, totally. Welcome to the 21st century. Uh, I mean, the what? Oh no! I, oh no! You've dated us. It's it's space age seven ninety four or whatever. It's uh, it's uh, I think it's uh, one oh five AF. You know, hundred and five uh, space years after Frieza. Works for me. Yeah, sure, that makes sense. <laughs> um, so the last last discussion point for me, this was a bombshell revelation that that Toriyama intended goku to win let's get a little speculative and talk about how that might have changed dragon ball moving forward would you know toriyama have felt inclined to keep having goku win tournaments would his loss to tien later have been more or less impactful if he were defending champion is there any ways you could see that this would have significantly changed what happened in the in the future not not even just tournaments but the future of of dragon ball if he won this first tournament so yes this absolutely blew my mind when i first learned this because him losing in the final is actually narratively really good (laughs) so the fact that the original plan was to just have him win just shocks me a little bit but on some level, I think I think it would definitely change uh, Dragon Ball moving forward. One of the biggest things that that kind of sticks out to me is just this this the following arc against the Red Ribbon Army. It's not it's it's kind of established before the tournament, but it's definitely established later on in the series that the World Martial Arts Tournament is a big deal, and winning it is a big deal, and you become essentially. If not world famous, at least famous enough that a large swath of the area that you you live in or around is uh, knows who you are. Case in point being that like Yamcha, the announcer, like a whole bunch of other people already know who Master Roshi is, and he was one of the previous winners. I think if Goku won this tournament, I think it would it would change probably a lot of his interaction with the red ribbon army. Cause I would think the red ribbon army would be aware of who just won the first or the, the latest martial arts tournament. I think that'd be, yeah, I hadn't even considered that. Um, because like, Oh, Jackie Chun won the tournament, but like nobody's paying attention to the, to the runner up. You know what I mean? So when right. this kid comes out of nowhere and starts murking their soldiers, it's kind of reasonable when they're like, where the hell did this kid come from? Right. Yeah. I didn't even consider that. What I was thinking is it would, it would like very much change like it could potentially change Goku's like character arc almost, right? Rather than constantly striving to some sort of ideal, whether that ideal is somewhat artificial or not, having that carrot on the stick for Goku is kind of what I see now I'll what, just what, I kind of disagree of... with that because it's sort of established as part of his character that he's always looking for strong people to test himself against. So that was already part of his philosophy before he met Master Roshi. I get the feeling that if he wins the first tournament, he's still going to want to go on and find stronger oh, people to fight against. I agree with that. I just think when we when you get into the, the Red Ribbon Army portion, he would be potentially... 
it, it could it, I'm not saying it would be better, worse, whatever. I, I just think it could be different because rather than having him sort of have this mindset of like, oh, I, I do still need to keep improving, right? Because I I'm, I didn't even win or whatever. He could be he could come to that some of those interactions with a a smidge of I don't want to say arrogance, but perhaps some of that overconfidence that we said Goku doesn't actually really typically have. Possibly, yeah, I could see that. I, I just think uh, it would it would it would add just a different flavor to a lot of those interactions to have him be this sort of defending champion who then yeah. comes across these other it it just would be it would it would change the it would change things in a very subtle way i think cuz you could probably you could still walk back all the like not walk back but like you could still have him out there just challenging himself and testing himself but it would add a a different flavor it'd be a, it, you know it'd be like adding a sh- uh, a little extra shot of uh, vanilla to to your cake batter it's a wonderful analogy <laughs> As far as his loss to TN, I think it would make it more impactful. Me because too. going into that second tournament off of winning the first one, obviously the foregone conclusion is going to be, well, he's going to win again. So having that sudden, oh, no, he – which is – that final is, again, another loss by just pure happenstance, which is interesting. Yeah. Because as lucky as Goku is in so many other facets of his life, he has terrible luck with winning the tournament. Yeah, and that's it. It would definitely have give it a different sort of impact if, yeah, he was the defending champion and then loses to Tien. I, it's weird because, in a way, with him losing and then going into it. And then losing again, that in a way is almost more like as a as a viewer, as a person sitting on the outside of it, that's almost more surprising, right? Because yeah. you expect it's like the the Rocky situation. You know, you lose the first one and then you win on your second try. Yep. Uh, and then he loses again and you're like, oh, man, I, I can't believe he lost again. But for the characters within the story... I think, yeah, like you said, it would have been much more impactful to have the defending champion lose to some new character that we get. Yeah, some guy we hadn't even heard of up to this point. So I think it's 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 a bombshell revelation just because it it would it would color like if nothing else, it would color everything that comes after a little bit differently. And then also on the 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 side of Toriyama actually planned something for once. (laughs) um i yeah i i really want to look up like what the what the results of uh, like all of the results of the poll were because i'm wondering if he picked jackie chun to win because like he was maybe the lowest number of votes or something like that yeah like because that would seem very on brand like oh the one everyone thinks is going to win is definitely not going to win so how about we have the guy that nobody expects to win actually wins it yeah, I, well, I don't know. That'd be that's probably one of those things where you do you do you uh are you fluent in Japanese and can you yeah, exactly. and can you track down <laughs> an original run of Shonen Jump from 1980 whatever? I mean, I learned languages pretty quick, but not that quick because I'm I'm neither of those things, you know. <laughs> I would I I don't know for sure, but I would imagine like original run of that stuff would maybe be fairly pricey-ish. That would be my guess, but I was thinking of maybe somebody just had like a picture on the internet or something. You would think, but... I guess we'll never know. I don't feel like searching it. I also do not feel like searching it right now. <laughs> maybe, maybe we'll, maybe we'll just we'll do a post or something. Who knows? Sometimes maybe we'll just maybe we'll just leave this an open-ended mystery for our fans to ponder over. Sometimes searching for things leaves you 
more frustrated than you were heading into it. Uh, I've mentioned on on here before that I'm a big fan of of sports. We get we get sports broadcasts in in the deep recesses of space. And the other day when I was um, I was using my scouter to call home to my home planet and check in on on jam and marmalade. I uh, I spoke with my wife for a minute, minute, and she asked me, "Hey, how often does the team who wins the World Series win it at home in front of their home crowd?" And I was like, "Well, surely I'll just." I was like, I was like all all um, arrogant. I was like, "There's this thing called Google." <laughs> I already know where this is going. <laughs> and I typed it into Google and pfft, nothing. Yeah, like, that's of course. You get a bunch of articles about um how important home field is or is not in baseball. You get a bunch of articles about the history of the World Series as a format, but you get you could probably noth- you could probably find conspiracy theories talking about lizard people deciding who actually wins the World Series. Probably. But you get nothing about, like, this series ended in game six in this team stadium or that team stadium. Like, just like a list. (laughs) Which you would think exists. You would think. But apparently not. So similarly, you would think that someone out there would have the results of the Shonen Jump poll. But probably not. But be prepared to search for it and get disappointed. (laughs) Say, uh, do you hear that? Yeah, what is that? It almost sounds like... uh... Like rain, but there are no clouds. Oh, oh no. Oh no, what? You haven't noticed it's still been getting brighter as night has fallen? So? Have you... you never heard of energy rain on your planet? No. What's energy rain? Just trust me. See that rock outcropping about a mile from our 7 o'clock? Yeah. Make a break for it as fast as you possibly can. What? Why? Hey, I can feel little pellets of something bouncing off my armor now. Just fly, recruit! Hey, wait for me! Listeners, once again, if you don't hear from me any further, it's because I've been cut down by a hailstorm of energy that has torn through me and oof! Holy sh... Bikini! Bikini, are you there? Oof! Almost, almost there! Oof! Well, ah. well, well, listeners, I've made it. I'm as safe as I can be, but the energy storm has picked up almost out of nowhere. It's intense, and I did do a lot of zigzagging in order to make it here. Bikini is out there. Bikini! If he's out there, he's either not able to answer or not able to hear me. Damn this storm. I can't see anything through these explosions. Will we survive this hailstorm of raw energy? Will Bikini be cut down by its might? Find out next time and help us achieve our final forum. Final Form is written and produced by Tom Gwelly. It is performed by Dan Kinney and Tom Gwelly. Our webmaster is Dan Kinney. Our theme music is provided by YouTube content creator GVG Kit. Want to learn more about the Dragon Ball universe, including concept art, behind-the-scenes interviews, and recommendations from Jelly and Bikini? Connect with us on social media. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Final Forum Pod. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you receive your podcasts. And of course, make sure to share with your friends and family and help us spread the word of the glory of Lord Frieza. The Frieza Force thanks you for your listenership.